Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont. If you're in our area, we wanted to let you know that we have community groups starting back again in September. So check out that and other ministries we have going on here at newkingchurch.com. Good morning, church. <laughs> it's like, what's under that mask? A smile. Hello. Um, so, so excited to have everyone here. Before I, I read the word of God for us today, uh, I wanted to introduce uh, who is going to be preaching for us today. Uh, some of you may not know him. Some of you maybe have never seen him before. He's the old guy who comes to our church. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> Eric, yeah, the one old guy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, those, but those gray hairs are a sign of wisdom from the Lord. So that's a blessing. And we need more gray hairs in this church, am I right? We don't have enough. So uh, anyways, this is, uh, so Eric Carter and his wife, Annette, they have been coming to our church for about a year, I'd say. And uh, maybe a little longer, I'm not sure, but it feels like a long time, right? No, I'm kidding. But um, anyway, so we're, we're just uh, really excited to have them here. They, they came from Panton Community Church, which is in Panton, and uh, they, he was a, a pastor there for how many years was it? Eight years, so very long time, and, uh, and he has so much preaching experience, so much wisdom to share for us. Uh, when you when you talk with Eric, I encourage you to talk with him if you've never talked with him and his wife. They both just have the spirit of the Lord just emanating from them and joy and delight for his word. So uh, it's really inspiring. So really excited to have him preach for us today. So uh, without further ado, let me read the word for today. So Matthew 3. <clears throat> in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? 
But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, would you be our teacher today? Would your Spirit be among us to teach us your word of your marvelous works, of your marvelous character, of who you are? Be with Eric As he preaches this word, we love you and we pray all this in the name of your blessed son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. So I have something under here as well. It's more gray. So there's gray on top and there's gray here and uh, it's gray everywhere. Um, But uh, it's... It's not about me. In a similar way that John the Baptist pointed to the Lord Jesus, pointed to the King of Israel, today I want to point to him, that he may increase and I may decrease. So we're in this study of Matthew's gospel. It's called Kingdom Come, as Lucius said. It presents the story of the outbreak of the kingdom of heaven on earth through King Jesus. Chapters 1 and 2 present the genealogy, the miraculous conception, the birth and infancy of King Jesus, all as fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. And this week, we'll look at chapter 3 of Matthew, and we'll see two main events. The announcer of the king, J.B., John the Baptist. Is it okay if I call him J.B., Tim? Is that all right? All right, J.B., And then we'll see the inauguration of the king through the anointing of the Spirit and the words of the Father from heaven. So those two things. My plan will be to go through this chapter and just go through it kind of verse by verse to see what it says, to see what the hearers in the first century might have gotten from it. A few things. And then in the end, I want to talk about three phrases that are used in this chapter and how they apply today. Phrase number one, prepare the way of the Lord. What does that mean for us today? How might we do that? Does that apply? Prepare the way of the Lord. Secondly, there's an interesting verse right towards the end, when the heavens were opened. What does that mean? What implication does that have for us today? And the third phrase is the one where John says, Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit, and what else? With fire. With fire. What does that mean? How does that apply today? So go through the chapter, and we'll see what those three things mean for us today in the very end. So, very beginning. The announcer of the king, John the Baptist, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So in those days, what does that mean? So that was about 25 years after chapter 2. About a quarter of a century had gone by, and and the writer, Matthew, says, in those days, this guy shows up. John the Baptist 
preaching in the wilderness. Now, first off, we have this location named. Why? What difference does that make? Who cares where he was? Does it matter? Yes, it matters. What we'll see as we'll go through this is that John the Baptist is fulfilling the role of an Old Testament prophet. And so when the hearers in the first century heard the wilderness, their ears pricked up and they said, yeah, we know exactly what that means. That means a prophet. A lot of our prophets came from the wilderness. God himself spoke to us multiple times in the wilderness. So God is going to speak. So that little detail in the wilderness fits very well with this idea of a prophet from God coming to speak a message from God. They say, yeah, okay, check one. And then what happens? He says a message. What does he say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you were to go into the Old Testament and read the prophets, the first thing you might say is, well, they all spoke about the future. That's what a prophet does, right? He speaks about the future. Yes, but he also speaks about the heart condition of the present. And he says to the people often, repent, change your mind, change You have left God, and now you need to return to him. So the idea of repentance is an Old Testament theme that the prophets had. So that fits. It's a similar message. Repent. Turn from your sin and embrace the Savior. Turn from one thing and embrace the other. It's not just halfway. You don't just turn. It's like baptism. When we baptize somebody, we don't put them down in the water and leave them, do we? We don't do that, right? It doesn't work out very well. It doesn't add to the church that way very well. No, we bring them back up. So they say when, when we baptize somebody, they, they say, my old life is gone, I'm dead to it. And now I rise out of the waters and embrace Jesus. I embrace my new life in Christ. So repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the new part that the Old Testament prophets didn't speak about quite as much. The kingdom of heaven is near because the king is near. He's coming, and heavens are going to be open. So hold that thought. And then verse 3, Matthew says, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So we see Matthew saying, This is the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40. This is it being fulfilled. This is what was spoken of hundreds of years before. This is the fulfillment of that, just like we saw in chapter 1 of Matthew, chapter 2 of Matthew. We are seeing prophecy fulfilled around the person of Jesus. And of course, John the Baptist is the announcer, the herald, the one to to announce Jesus in his public ministry. That was prophesied about. So just to turn quickly back to Isaiah chapter 40. I believe it's in the Old Testament. There it is. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So when we turn back to the, to the original in, I, in Isaiah, we see that there's a desert, dryness, parched. So we see that, and in the middle of it, there's a road being built, a highway for the king to come across. 
And then it says, every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, the rough places become a plain. The idea behind it is to prepare the way of the the Lord means to smooth things out, to fill in the bumps, to fill in the potholes, to, to remove all the obstacles so that the king can come without impediment. That's the idea behind it. So the kingdom will advance. And then verse 4, which is awesome. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate bugs and honey. How about that? So what does that mean? Why on earth is that mentioned? Why does it matter? Because when you read through the rest of the gospel of Matthew, or you read through the other gospels, or you read through the New Testament, we see over and over again that how people are dressed is, is called out. So when Jesus preaches, it says, well, he wore that one particular tunic. It really looked, made him look good. He was very slim in that tunic. When Paul preached in Athens, right? When Paul preached in Athens, it talked about what he wore, and he had a cliff bar right before he preached so he could have some energy, right? No, that's never mentioned. We don't talk about that. It doesn't list it. We don't say, man, when Aaron preached last week, he had on that blue shirt, and his, it brought out his eyes and his curly hair. We don't care. Why here? Why? Why? Simple. It makes the people think about an Old Testament prophet named Elijah, right? It fits right in. It fits right in. So here it's called out. And he ate bugs and honey. How about that? Bugs and honey, locusts. And then it says, we have the reaction. Just changed my page. This is paper? I don't know if you guys have seen this. This is really old school. Um, It's not stone, Aaron. It's paper. So we see that that John the Baptist is the forerunner. He's the herald uh, predicted by Scripture. And now we see the responses to him. There are three responses that start in verse 6. The first is the crowds. The second is the religious leaders. And then the third is John's response to the whole thing, and he blasts them, right? So we have his message, we have him baptizing, and then we have the response. So it says in verse 6, the first response, or um, verse 5, then Jerusalem And all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going to him. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So they came out to him. They were drawn to him. They recognized him maybe as a prophet from Israel. And they came out and they were baptized, confessing their sins. And they were waiting for this man. They were waiting for this prophet to come and speak to them. The very last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. The very last word from God in the Old Testament is from Malachi. 400 years before that, and Malachi says, there's going to be a guy. He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah, and he's going to preach, and he's going to be the forerunner. Go and wait for him. And so 400 years go by, and then John the Baptist shows up. 
And so they say, man, this makes sense. He's dressed right. He's eating the right food. He's got the right message. He's doing the right thing. He's out in the wilderness. He has the right location. We're going to go. We're going to confess our sin. And we're going to get baptized by him. When we see the word baptized, one way to think of it, the way I think of it, baptism means identification. When I'm baptized to the Father, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I am identifying with them. And so these people came and they were baptized into John's message, which was repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. They identified with that. So they confessed their sin and they were baptized. And then in verse 7, we have another response. We have these religious leaders that show up, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Not very nice, is it? One time I had an evangelist come to my house. This was years ago, probably 30 years ago. And we went up to Burlington on Saturday morning to Church Street to hand out tracts and talk to people and witness to people about Jesus. And we did that for about an hour. And then after the hour, this man, his name was John also. John looked at me and says, Eric, we ready? And I said, ready for what? He said, we're going to preach. And I said, we are? He says, oh yeah. So he climbed up on one of the rocks on Church Street. And he stood up there and he looked around and he opened his Bible and he said, people of Burlington, you are on your way to hell. Boy, did that go over. Wow. Same thing here. You brood of vipers. This passage used to really bug me. It used to really kind of get into my skin. Because here's these religious leaders. They're coming to the baptism. And then John just blasts them. Why? It seems mean. It doesn't seem fair. They were coming to him. Why doesn't he accept them? Why did they say, yeah, come on down in the water and get baptized? I think the answer... I think the answer might be, if you notice in verse 7, it says they were coming to his baptism. They weren't coming to get baptized. They were coming to check it out. They were the religious leaders. They heard something was going on down in the desert by this guy, John. They wanted to come down to the River Jordan and see what was happening. They wanted to see what was happening to maybe shut it down. And John sees through all that. And he says, you deceptive, poisonous people. Who told you to flee? Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? He said, you do not presume and do not presume to say to yourselves in verse 9, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And so what he is saying is you are dependent upon your own identity, your own heritage, who you are as people, your ethnic uh, standing, your social standing, your training, your teaching, your, 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 your economic. Everything is about you and who you are, your heritage and your background. John says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't presume to do that. God can raise up from something dead something alive. He can raise up something from the stones. Don't presume that you're the chosen ones. Don't presume that. And then John gives two metaphors, two interesting metaphors. He's, he, the first one is, is sort of a woodsman metaphor. 
In verse 10, he says, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's using a metaphor here of a, of a woodsman going out into the woods, and he's looking at uh, the forest and, he, or, and his, his orchard, maybe, and he's saying, okay, which trees have fruit? I'll save those. Which trees don't have fruit? I'm going to put the axe right to the root. I'm going I'm to chop them down. It's a metaphor. And then the second metaphor he uses is verse 11, or verse uh, 12. It's sort of a farming metaphor. It says, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So what that means is, is after the grain was threshed, it was, it was put onto this floor, and a guy would go in with this fork and throw it up into the air. And the grain was heavier, and it would drop, and the chaff was lighter, and it would blow away. And oftentimes, there was a wall between the two. And so the grain was separated from the chaff. And the grain, of course, goes into the barn. It's fruit. The chaff is not good for anything. It gets burned up. So John uses these two metaphors. He says, judgment. That's what they mean. They mean judgment. They mean the separation of people based upon their fruit. They both mean that. So the tree that's not fruitful, cut it down. The chaff from the wheat, burn it. And in both cases, this idea of fire is used. And then in the middle of that comes this line where John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me, first off, he's mightier than I. Now, John was probably a strapping, rugged guy. He's out in the wilderness. He's, he's, he's hanging out there. He's eating bugs and, and, and honey. He's probably a pretty rugged guy just because of the elements. John says, you think I'm rugged? You think I'm like Tim, that I got muscles and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just ripped? I pick up sheetrock all day long. I, I'm the strongest guy in here. I'll arm wrestle anybody. No. John says, there's a guy coming after me mightier than I. See, that's the whole point of John's ministry, to point to the one coming. He's mightier than I. And it says, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. More on that later. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's two differences. One, the one coming is mightier. And second, the baptism is different. And we'll talk about the baptism by the Holy Spirit and fire at the end. Okay. That's the end of the first part. These uh, verses um, give us details about the announcer of the king. And it's to show that God is now speaking after 400 silent years... And this announcer, this herald, this proclaimer in the wilderness, his message of repentance, his clothes and food, all prove that the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in him. That's the whole reason all this detail is given. Other than that, we might want to just skip over John the Baptist. The whole purpose of giving this detail is to validate that he is a messenger from God. He's a signpost. Right? He's a signpost pointing. If we're looking for, for Burlington, and we see the sign that says Burlington pointing towards 89, we don't stop and stare at the signpost and say, oh, look at that sign. Oh, wow. 
we say, yeah, it's accurate, it's valid. We care about what it's pointing to. In the same way, John the Baptist is an interesting character, but we care more about who he points to, and that's what comes up next. The, inaugura the inauguration of the king, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. This solitary figure. Can you picture it? Can you see it? From this farming community, this, this place called Galilee, just kind of comes walking out. And there he is. And he comes to be baptized by John. And then in verse 14 and 15, there's this weird little dialogue it says, now John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? John says, I know who you are. We read in John's gospel that the moment he saw him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold, see him. We recognize who he is. This is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. This is the king that's coming. And he says, I know who you are. I don't want to do this. sort of like the upper room when Jesus takes the towel and he girds himself and he wants to wipe the disciples' feet and Peter says, no, Lord, don't do it to me. John's kind of doing the same thing. He says, I know who you are. I I'm not going to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And then Jesus says, okay, I, I, know, I know what you mean. I understand. But let it be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He says, look, we're in a transition phase. We're transitioning from your ministry to my ministry. For now, I am going to submit myself to your baptism. Why? Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he say, yeah, Jesus, that's right. I'm the guy. I'm going to come, and I'm going to baptize you, and I'm going to take over. Then do that. Why? What's his point? So first off, by baptizing, under John's baptism, he identifies himself with John and the message of repentance. If you turn over the, the page to 4.17, uh, from that time forward, Jesus began to preach, saying what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same message. When he sends out the disciples, he says, here's your message. Tell them, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's taking this message. He's identifying with it. He says, I identify with your message, John. I give it validity. I'm carrying it forward. I identify with you. And secondly, Jesus identifies completely and utterly with the people that have a need. The people that are confessing their sins. The people that are repenting. It's not that he needed to repent or confess his sins because he had none to confess, but he wanted to show utter solidarity with the people. I had a friend at work a couple years ago who came in one day and he was bald. It's like, dude, what, what's going on? I mean, that's not a very good look for you. Well, how come you shaved your head? You look. He's like, oh, my brother's cancer and he's in chemo and he lost all his hair, so I shaved his head. I felt like a moron, right? Of course. But he was showing solidarity with the brother that he loved. 
he was showing, if you have to shave your head, I'm going to shave my head too. Jesus identifies with the people in their need. He says, I'm, one, I'm going to be one of them. I am going to go down, and I am going to submit to this baptism. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, three things, behold, heavens were opened. In the Old Testament, that meant that God was revealing something momentous. The heavens were opened. Second thing, the Spirit of God comes down like a dove and rests on Jesus. This is the formal anointing of Jesus by the Spirit to inaugurate his public ministry, which will be, guess what, characterized by the Spirit. After this little section, verse 4, chapter 1, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, immediately Jesus is led by the Spirit. So Jesus' ministry will be led by the Spirit constantly. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, guess what? The promised one, the helper, will come. The great comforter will come. The Spirit will be given. The Spirit indwells the church. We're energized by the Spirit. We, we preach by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We, we walk by the Spirit. Jesus' ministry, the day that we live in, is characterized by the Spirit. And then the voice, the voice from heaven. Now we have the complete trinity. We have Jesus coming up out of the water. We have the Spirit coming down. And now we have the voice of the Father. And what does the Father say? This. This is the son I love. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the one that left the father's side, that said, I will go. I will come down to earth. I will leave my glory. I will come to earth. I will suffer and I'll die on a cross. I will go. I will do it. I will do your will. And God says, this is the first step. I am well pleased. I love my son. So those three things. The heavens are open, the spirit comes down, and the father's words. Okay, now we're at the end. Three, three phrases. Prepare the way of the Lord. Comes from verse 3. Comes from Isaiah. This was John's calling, and this was John's ministry. Today, August 16th, 2020, 2,000 years later, you and I, the church here at New King, we have a similar calling. We also have the privilege of announcing the King with some differences. We say today, the King has come. The king has suffered. The king has died. The king was raised again from the dead. The king is now at God's right hand, crowned with glory and honor. He's coming back. 
He's going to come back. He's going to come back and get us because he loves us and he cares for us. He's coming back and his reward is with him and we long to see his face. Our Savior, our Lord, our King, our Jesus. We too preach repentance from sin as part of the gospel of Jesus. We tell people, turn from your sin, turn from your sinful life and embrace Jesus. Embrace Him. And we too baptize, identifying with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we have a similar ministry to John the Baptist. We have that privilege of announcing the King. Secondly, the heavens were opened. This is a really interesting phrase. It shows up there towards the end of verse 16. There's something surprising here. Now, in the Old Testament, right? This was all validating the Old Testament. You know what happened at the Jordan? Joshua parted the Jordan. The waters were parted. And then Elijah came along. And you know what Elijah did? He parted the Jordan. And then after him was who? Elisha. And what did Elisha do? He parted the Jordan. What happens here? Something more immense and amazing The heavens are parted. Forget the foolish Jordan. Forget that water. The heavens themselves are parted. Mark's gospel in chapter 1 says this. The heavens were torn. Torn. Ripped. Now when something is open, you can close it. When something is torn, you can't close it very easily. The heavens are now torn. The Holy Spirit is on the loose. This is the day that we're living in. The heavens are torn apart. And the Spirit is here. And our lives as Christians are characterized by the Spirit. And you can't put it back. You can't say, oh, Spirit, go back away. You can't do it. There's a verse in Isaiah 64, verse 1. It's a supplication. It's a prayer. It's a pleading for mercy. You know what it says? It's a prayer to God, and the prayer is this. Oh, that you would open the heavens and come down. This is fulfilled here. The heavens are open. Jesus the Son has come down. The Holy Spirit has come down. The old King James says the heavens were rent. I like that. The heavens are torn. They are rent. The Holy Spirit descends and anoints Jesus. When bad things happen to us, when things go really bad, we often say, all hell has broken loose. I tell you today, all heaven has broken loose. Okay, last thing. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Verse 11. This is serious. This is very serious stuff. No joking around. We that are Christians, we often, we we see that verse and we think, oh, we know what that's all about. That's Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes down. You remember that? Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. And what happened? They spoke in tongues and the Holy Spirit came down. And it says, it kind of looked like tongues of fire were resting on them. We say, oh yeah, so that was all fulfilled right there. No, that's not it. I think that's incorrect. Why do I think that? It's the context. Remember what I said, verse 11 is sandwiched between these two metaphors? 
Both metaphors spoke of judgment. Both metaphors spoke of fire, the fire of judgment. It says Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does it mean? Here's a serious part. This coming one that John spoke of, this King Jesus, for those that repent and confess their sins and turn to him, he will baptize them with the Holy Spirit. See, what happens when you repent and confess your sins is you become righteous. You have the righteousness of Jesus. And your sin is gone as far as the east is from the west. Therefore, God in the person of the Holy Spirit can come and indwell you. Do you know that? Indwell you. So we live in the day of the Spirit. We're baptized in the Spirit through faith in Jesus. We confess our sins. Our sins are gone. The Spirit indwells us. Baptized in the Spirit. We go on. We live a life for God. But for the unrepentant, for those who say, I, I don't want this Jesus guy. He's a good teacher, but, you know, I, I, I really don't believe in all this confessing of sin stuff. I don't want it. I, I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to confess my sins. sins. He will baptize them and identify them with the judgment of eternal fire and condemnation. Which baptism will you have today? Will you put your faith in Jesus? Will you believe in him if you haven't already? Will you confess Jesus? Will you turn from your sin and embrace the Savior, the King from heaven? Will you do that? Because if you don't, the wrath of God is upon you. The judgment of God is upon you. There's no halfway. This is the serious part. There's no halfway. Either you're identified with life through Jesus or you're identified with death through rejection. Today, today is the day to embrace the King. Today is the day of salvation. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus, do it today. Don't wait. Don't go out that door. today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus, your beloved Son, the Son of your love, your delight who left your side and came to this earth to suffer and to die for us. Father, help us, help us to understand your Son more. Help us to be more like him. Help us to embrace him. Father, I pray for anyone here who hasn't put their trust in Jesus that today would be that day of salvation where they would trust in him. Father, I pray for this word that's gone out that you would bless it and cause fruit from it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.